0: So, last week we looked at um, post millennialism and our millennialism. I want to say some more about our millennialism today because that's uh, going to be the main foil that I use as the course goes on. Okay. Um, can anyone though remember what post millennialists Teach. So post we'll just put post M. Okay, so what's what does a post millennialist teach? Come on. The millennium has already occurred? No. Thank you, but the rapture will be after the millennium. No. Not talking about the rapture. the return of Jesus will be after the millennium, okay? But there's something. Oh, the thousand years. we the thousand years now. That's our millennialism. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's okay. It can be confusing. It can be confusing. All right. Let me. So post millennial. First of all, let me let me just say, post millennialism and our millennialism are, are very strongly related. Because what uh, Karen just said there um, about the millennium will occur and then Jesus will come back, both systems believe that. So both systems are, in a sense, post-millennial in that sense. Okay, both believe that the millennium occurs and then Jesus returns. Post-millennial has to the the idea of post-pre you know, and so on. It has to do with the return of Christ. Where do you put it? All right? So, if the return of Christ is post-millennial, that means it's after the millennium. Okay? Now, in general, a post-millennialist will believe that the church will, through the work of the Spirit and the spreading of the gospel, will bring in the millennium. Do you remember that? The church will bring in the millennium. So, i uh, give you an example. I'll get rid of this. And we'll reiterate a, a, a few times here. <clears throat> All right, so here's the cross. All right, and we've got Church history, which has gone for like 2,000 years, okay? So far. Now, in a post-millennial view, here's history, the line of history. And here's the second coming of Christ, okay? In a post-millennial view, what they will do is that they will... Uh, say that at some point there will be a work of the spirit it may be slow but it will start and there will be a work of the spirit so let's say that, that work of the spirit starts here we don't know when Christ is coming back but let's say it starts at this point here and we'll just put a date of the year 2000 okay then many post-millennialists will say that this period of bringing in the millennium and then the actual start of the millennium and end, okay, will be before Jesus comes back. This is not to scale, okay? Okay. So, this, this could be as long as this, okay? Uh, most post-millennialists do not believe that when the millennium is brought in by the church, that it will be a thousand years long, okay? They don't take the thousand years literally. Like nearly everybody else, apart from the system that, that I'll be teaching here, they spiritualize in, in large part the book of Revelation and they say it's symbolic, therefore all the numbers are symbolic, therefore the thousand years is symbolic. So we don't need to believe in it literally. But you get the idea. Okay, so a post-millennialist believes the church is going to bring in the millennium at some point, And then after that, when there's been a certain amount of, you know, hundreds of years, maybe a thousand years, who knows, of the church and of Jesus Christ, Uh, bringing in the kingdom on earth then Christ will come back after that because the millennium has already happened, do you see there's no need for a millennium after Jesus returns because Jesus returns after the millennium are you okay with that I didn't ask you if you agreed with it, I asked you if you are I asked you if you get it. Alright? Alright. And if you, if you, uh, if you want me to, let's just, this might help the visual. Okay? If we just do this, make this bigger. Okay? And we start it, say, here. Whatever date that is. So the church will bring in the millennium. And we can, we can put the 2008 here and that might be a better visual for you. Okay? Rather than squidging it at the end. So there's your post-millennial. Now, an R-millennialist, and we'll be doing a little bit more about that, an R-millennialist believes that we're in the millennium now. Now, post-millennialists might believe that we're not in the millennium now, okay? Because the church hasn't brought it in. But an R-millennialist does believe we're in the millennium now. So what we do is we get rid of this. Church isn't going to bring the millennium in. And we say... That from the cross to the second coming, it's all the millennium. So, we're in the millennium now. Alright? That's our millennialist. So, the millennium is now, Christ comes back after the millennium. So, our millennials are actually (laughs) post-millennials. Just of a different stripe, okay? And and remember I said, our millennial, that that term was only invented about the 1920s, okay? So before that they were called post-millennialists, all right? So because they believe that the, the millennium happens and then Christ comes back after, post, after the millennium. They just don't believe that the church brings in the millennium. They just believe we're in the millennium. The millennium is spiritualized. Which means that an millennialist believes that the millennium is just the church age, if you like. Well, no, I can't even say that because many of them are Presbyterians and they believe the church age started with Adam. But but um, from a time of the first coming of Christ to the second coming of Christ, okay, that's the millennium and our millennialist view. A post-millennialist of the modern stripe, well, the older stripe was basically, believe this too, is that the church is going to bring in the millennium. So all of the period from the cross of Christ to the second coming is not the millennium in a post-millennial view. Whereas in an R millennial view it is. I know I'm repeating myself but it's, uh, I, I think I have to, okay. But in a post millennial view the millennium will be brought in by the church and then Christ will come back. Alright? So that's R millennial. Neither position believes that there is a millennium after the second coming of Christ, because it's already here, yes, before them. So, both positions are also are millennial, which means no millennium, meaning no millennium after the second coming of Christ. So, if uh, if this isn't enough to confuse you. Both positions are post-millennial and both positions are our millennial. But when we're differentiating, post-millennial believes that we're going to bring in the kingdom, the millennium, and that will be a time of peace and prosperity and everything for the nations and then Christ will come back, and then there'll be a new heavens and new earth. And our millennialist just believes that what's going on today is just going to keep going. You know, Maybe at the end of time, there'll be a mass conversion of the Jews, but most of them believe then there'll be a falling away of the church, then Christ will come back, and new heavens and new earth. But the whole shooting match is the millennium. So it's a different view of the millennium, but the millennium is still before the second coming. All right? Yep. <laughs> okay. So let me read to you again more of what an R-millennialist says. Okay? So this time this is uh from a book, The Meaning of the Millennium. And uh, this is an, an R-millennialist called Anthony Hokemer. You wouldn't have heard of him, but some people on the tape would have heard of him. He's a very well respected uh, R-millennial theologian. Very uh, well regarded. So several places in his uh, essay here that I want to just bring out for you, okay? <clears throat> he starts out by saying, R-millennials, that's an unfortunate name wish we didn't have it because they don't deny the millennium, they say we're in the millennium they just deny a future millennium Okay, so he says that and uh, he starts off by saying if you'll turn to Revelation 19 and 20, if you were there Revelation 19 and 20 he starts out by saying that Chapter 20 of the book of Revelation does not follow chapter 19 of the book of Revelation chronologically. Okay? They deny, all our millennialists deny that chapter 20 of Revelation follows chapter 19 of Revelation chronologically. Now, Looking at chapter 19 of the book of Revelation, okay, you will see that uh, it says at the beginning, after these things I heard, a loud voice and a great multitude in heaven saying, hallelujah, salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God. And then what you have is uh, some praise going on, then you have the marriage of the lamb, verse 7 and following. And then verse 11, now I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse and he who sat on him was called faithful and true in righteousness he judges and makes war his eyes were like a flame of fire and on his head were many crowns this is Jesus at his second coming yes yeah look at verse 16 his name is king of kings and lord of lords this is Jesus yes second coming yes then it goes into a battle this is, uh, you know, often we might describe this as Armageddon, but he's coming and he's he's uh, squishing people, basically, okay? And then what you find is in, from verses 20 and 21, the beast and the false prophet are captured and cast into the lake of fire. And then the rest are killed, verse 21. All right? Now look at chapter 20. It says, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. They do not believe that that follows chronologically from the second coming of Christ. Okay? Uh, he, He writes this, page 156 of the book. Let us further assume that what is presented in Revelation 20 must necessarily follow in chronological order what was described in chapter 19. We are then virtually compelled to believe that the thousand-year reign depicted in chapter 20, verse 4 must come after the return of Christ described in 1911. But... If we see Revelation 20 verses 1 through 6 as describing what takes place during the entire history of the church. We're in the millennium now, okay? So what are they doing? They're taking the thousand years, the repetition of the word thousand years in Revelation 20. And they're saying that's spiritualized. And it refers to the period between the first and second comings of Christ. Okay, so if we see that that, uh, it uh, takes place during the entire history of the church, beginning with the first coming of Christ, we will have an understanding of the millennium of Revelation 20, which is quite different from the one just mentioned. Uh, certainly will. Okay, so when our millennialist... um, goes to the book of Revelation, goes to chapter 20, and they say chapter 20 happens before chapter 19. Now, there are places in the book of Revelation that it it does that, okay? It takes you back to a particular scene, okay? To to hone in on something that's, that's happened or has just been described, okay? But that doesn't seem to be happening at all in... Um, Chapter nineteen and twenty it doesn't seem to be um, that way at all. This just seems to follow chronologically, just as much as chapter twenty-one and twenty-two follow chapter twenty. You know. Anyway, to just disc- to uh, continue. he will uh, they they all do this to kind of prove the fact that uh in chapter 20 satan being bound has already happened okay they will quote new testament verses like matthew 12:29 how can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man okay Okay, so Jesus has already bound Satan, you see. So, as you have in Revelation 20, the binding of Satan with a chain and put in a bottomless pit, then that's the binding of Satan that Jesus is referring to in Matthew. Okay, you also get um, Jesus saying that uh, he was casting out demons as an evidence of the presence of the kingdom of God, Matthew twelve twenty-eight. He says on page 163 here, When the 70 returned from their preaching mission, they said to Jesus, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. Jesus replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Luke 10 verses 17 and 18. Okay, so the falling of Satan like lightning from heaven, okay, is described as the fall of Satan from his power, place of power. That's what uh, in this book, Understanding Prophecy, the R Millennialist in this book, Benjamin Merkel, that's what he says that that means. Okay, so it's interpreted to mean that his fall from power, and uh, and so it goes. Uh, he, it says, uh, it's, it's here, but it, uh, Merkel says it in more concisely. He says that uh, in, in the book of Hebrews, where it says that Jesus was manifest so that he may destroy uh, him who has power over death, that is the devil. Well, that means the devil's been destroyed already. Okay, which means not that he's been destroyed, destroyed, but means that his power base has been destroyed. Okay? That's the, that's the idea there. Now if this, if, if, you see what they're doing? They're taking these outside verses and they're bringing them into Revelation and they're interpreting Revelation by that, by those verses. But those verses are not like uh, slam dunk verses at all. Okay? They, you have to interpret them and there are other ways to interpret them, okay, which do not imply our millennialism but they they are driving an interpretation of the book of Revelation from outside the book of Revelation. Because these verses are not written by John. Okay? So what often happens with these people is that they'll get passages from outside of uh, different books and they'll bring them in to interpret passages like the book, uh, Revelation chapter 20. Instead of keeping with Revelation 20 and saying, what does it mean in, in its context? And they all do this. Every single one does this. Okay? The reason for it is they say Revelation chapter 20 is obscure. It's obscure. It's an obscure passage. They'll go to also, the Old Testament prophecies in uh, Isaiah chapter 11, Isaiah 2, Micah 4, um, uh, Ezekiel 34, 36, 37, 40 through 48. Uh, they'll go to all these passages and they'll say they're obscure. There's a lot of obscure passages in our millennialism. Okay? So what they do is they say, "Well, you have to." The rule is that you have to uh, to interpret the obscure passages in the light of clear passages, and that's that's their ticket, you see, to changing these these passages. Of course, they're not. These passages are not obscure unless you don't believe what they say. Then all of a sudden, they are obscure. But that's the tr- that's true in life, isn't it? If you don't believe what somebody's saying, then all of a sudden, what they're saying becomes obscure, and you believe you have to believe something else. Yeah, isn't that true? Mm-hmm. Um, he says here. Page 172, our millennialists believe that though many Old Testament prophecies are indeed to be interpreted literally, many others are to be interpreted in a non-literal way. In the abstract, an our millennialist might agree with the definition of the premillennial method, hermeneutical method, given by uh, Wolver, he's a, a premillennial scholar but he says this the difference between an R-millennial and a premillennial interpreter comes out when each tries to indicate which prophecies must be interpreted literally and which prophecies are to be interpreted in a non-literal sense on this question there would be a wide divergence of opinion ok which Old Testament prophecies are to be interpreted literally which are to be interpreted in a non-literal sense. Okay? I will tell you to save time which ones they believe are to be interpreted literally. The ones basically that support the first coming of Christ. Okay? So, it will be born of a virgin. It will be born in Bethlehem. Okay? those are to be interpreted literally you know, ride a a donkey, okay what about the ones that are to be interpreted non-literally the majority of prophecies in the Old Testament are to be interpreted non-literally, why? because the majority of prophecies in in the Old Testament if you interpret them literally don't refer to the first coming of Christ they refer to the second coming of Christ do you see? And there's an assumption going on in his mind that you have to get. Quote, page 177. Christ delivered a death blow to Satan and his evil hosts. This victory of Christ was decisive and final. The most important day in history, therefore, is not the second coming of Christ, which is still future, but the first coming which lies in the past. I have told you this, I've read this before, I'm reading it to you again. They interpret the Bible by the first coming of Christ. That means they interpret those Old Testament prophecies by the first coming of Christ. But those Old Testament prophecies of peace and prosperity and Jerusalem being blessed and people coming to Jerusalem, that doesn't match the first coming because that didn't happen at first, did it? So they have to spiritualize all of a sudden those texts become obscure of course they're obscure if you're looking at them okay through the first coming lenses I mean if you're if you're um, looking at the stars with uh, the wrong end of the Telescope. Of course, they become obscure, don't they? So don't fall for that. They will tell you that. Okay, it's a big, it's a good line for them. Okay, we interpret. They sound very um, pious when they say it. Um, We interpret the obscure passages by the clear passages. Don't let them get away with it. Say so there's nothing obscure about Revelation 20. There's nothing obscure about Ezekiel 40 through 48. It's just you and your system can't believe it. Because your system of interpretation won't allow you to inter- interpret it in a literal way. And all of a sudden, half of the biblical prophecies become obscure. Because you've got trying to fit them into the first coming of Christ. Of course they become obscure because they don't fit. Do you see? Uh, There is a book, a commentary on the book of Revelation by a great New Testament scholar called William Hendrickson called More Than Conquerors. More Than Conquerors. It's a commentary on the book of Revelation but where does the term more than conquerors come from? We are more than conquerors through him. That's in the book of Romans. What does that tell you about their method of interpreting the book of Revelation? They're going to go outside of the book of Revelation to interpret the book of Revelation. Not going to interpret the book of Revelation by itself. Why? Oh, it's symbolic. Oh, it's obscure. Of course it's obscure if you believe this stuff. Do you see? That we're in the millennium already and that therefore Revelation 20 comes before Revelation 19. Yeah? Uh, there was more. one more quote here. I think I want to do a quote. Where is it? Um page 181, our millennials also teach that during this same thousand year period, which is this two thousand year period, at least, the souls of believers who have died are now living and reigning with Christ in heaven while they await the resurrection of the body. Okay, so Christ is reigning and the, the dead are reigning now with Christ. Of course, you see, you have to have Christ reigning now because you can't have him reigning in a millennium on earth after because you've done away with that. The Old Testament prophecies, well, let's look at Isaiah, um, Isaiah 11, okay, as, a, as an example of this. The Old Testament prophecies are are very specific about the reign of Christ. Isaiah 11, again. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. Is that literal? No. It's a metaphor. It's a a figure of speech. But it refers to Christ who comes from the lineage of David. Okay? Okay? The father of David is Jesse. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. Is that literal? Yes. His delight is in the fear of the Lord. and He shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and... With the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his loins and faithfulness the belt of his waist. Is that literal? Yes or no? No. There are figures of speech there clearly but it's very easy to see that he's talking about the fact that he will reign and rule with righteousness, equity, bring about peace. That's basically what it's saying. Okay? Okay um problem here though if you um if you don't believe in a future uh time on earth like this and that is he speaks about the poor and he speaks about the downtrodden and the meek this can't be heaven can it but it's a time when he's when the the branch from david is reigning on earth okay but not everything is completely right he's putting things right do you see so uh, that kind of spells a bit of trouble for the uh, millennialist you see he's going to have to spiritualize this he's going to have to spiritualize the next bit particularly the wolf also shall dwell with the lamb the leopard shall lie down with the young goat The calf and the young lion and the fatling together a little child shall lead them the cow and the bear shall graze their young one shall lie down together and the lion shall eat straw like the ox the nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole and the weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den they shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as similarly the waters cover the sea is that literal? Ah, is it or is it not? If you're an r and Postmillennialist, it's not literal. If you believe in a future reign of Christ and peace on this earth, in the future, it is literal. Do you see? Turn to Hosea chapter 2. Hosea chapter 2. So, take a kind of a a decent pinch of the Bible to the right. Go get past Ezekiel and Daniel. You there? You you, you with... uh... Tell me when you're all there, Hosea 2. Verse 14. Therefore, behold, I will allure her, talking about Israel, will bring her into the wilderness and speak comfort to her. I will give her her vineyards from there and the valley of Achor as a door of hope. What's the valley of Achor? That's the place where Achan was killed in time of Joshua. Okay? She shall sing there as in the days of her youth, as in the day when she came up out from the land of Egypt. Who's this talking about? Israel, right? And it shall be in that day, says the Lord, that you shall call me my husband and no longer call me my master. For I will take from her mouth the names of the Baals and they shall be remembered by their name no more in that day I will make a covenant with them with the beasts of the field with the birds of the air with the creeping things of the ground bow and sword of battle I will shatter from the earth to make them lie down safely and I will betroth you to me forever for example okay here it says there's a covenant going to be made when um, God restores Israel to himself and actually marries Israel. I mean, you'll call me husband. Has that happened yet? Okay? Even if you spiritualize this and say this is written to the church, has Christ married the church yet? No. Okay? But here we are beasts of the field birds of the air are being somehow being changed aren't they just as in Isaiah 11 notice here bow and battle uh, and sword of battle I will shatter from the earth that's like um, Micah 4 and Isaiah chapter 2 okay uh in that passage remember it talks about the fact that uh he will, they will beat their swords into plowshares. Yeah? Talking about the same stuff. See how it connects? <laughs> Literally it connects. Do you see? But if you're an R-millennialist, you can't have that happen. Do you see? So you have to spiritualize it. One more quotation here. Where is it? No, no. I think it was here. Just one second. I think it was the Merkel uh, quote. Um, Okay, listen to this. This is Benjamin Merkel. Page 260, 261 of Understanding Prophecy here. Okay, just listen carefully. You need to be in Revelation 20 here. The images are not to be taken literally, although they point to literal events and realities. So although the angel coming down from heaven in Revelation 20 is pictured as having a literal chain to bind Satan and a literal key to lock him up, These symbols relate to us, God's intention to limit Satan's influence on the world. This binding is said to last a thousand years. If the chain, key and prison are symbolic pictures, then it is likely that the thousand years is also symbolic and represents a certain period of time, but not necessarily a literal one thousand years. Second, John tells us that Satan is bound so that he might not deceive the nations any longer. Revelation 20 verse 3. Thus, Satan's influence is not completely removed, but is specifically tied to his ability to deceive the nations. You buying it? So we can take, we can take the reason for the binding literally so that it doesn't deceive the nations okay but we can't take the binding itself literally okay the chain is not literal the prison isn't literal the the thing on top of the abyss is not literal the thousand years isn't literal <coughs> Do you see that? And the letting him out, obviously, isn't literal, because he wasn't let into a literal prison in the first place. I said that, uh, where it says that he, he might not deceive the nations any longer, that they take that literally, but do they? Do they? Because they will say that this refers to uh, not, all of the people of the nations but only to the elect the elect are not going to be deceived so the word nations doesn't mean nations it means the elect from all the different peoples of the earth so even that is given a qualified definition alright if you're going to interpret the bible in this way you can make it do almost anything you want it to do and folks, they do. They do. All right. So that's again, that's our millennialism. Um, that's the main uh, opponent of the position that we're. I'm um, teaching here. But before we get to uh, this this position, dispensational premillennialism, the position that I'll teach from now on, after this little lesson here we have to get to historic come covenant pre-millennialism sorry 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 <laughs> has to be done all right so let's see so in pre-millennialism okay premillennialism teaches there's me blue That Jesus comes back before the millennium. Yes? Pre. Before the millennium. So, how are you going to do this? Well, you have the cross, you have the return of Christ at some point, and then you have Christ setting up the millennium. Okay? And then you have the new heavens and new earth after that. Okay? so that's pre-millennial, premillennialism. <laughs> but there are two main sorts of premillennialism. And uh, the historic covenant premillennialism will teach that, yeah, Jesus will come back and set up his millennium on earth. Alright, that's good. That's good. Their main proof text is Revelation 20. In fact, for many people, the most, uh, including the most influential premillennialist, a man called George Eldon Ladd, that is the proof text. Okay, you say, well, what about what about the Old Testament prophecies? Uh, Ladd does not believe. Um, Neither, not all premillennialists are like this. The lad does not believe that uh, the Old Testament or the Gospels speak about a future kingdom. Okay? It's only found in in Revelation 20. Now, some of the older premillennialists, some of the Scottish writers, uh, Robert Murray McShane, uh, who you may have heard of, Horatius Bonar, A. O. Bonar. You may have heard of these men. If you haven't, you should do. They're great men. Uh, they, they were premillennialists in this in this view. All right, and they would sometimes go to these Old Testament passages and they will say, "Look, the, the Bible says that Israel will come back to the land." And so, what you get is when Israel did come back to the land in 1948, you have premillennialists who would say, yeah, you see, because the Bible prophesies that. Okay? The Bible prophesies that. Not there yet, I will just tell you the Bible doesn't prophesy that, I don't think. The Bible prophesies another return after they've been expelled. Again, okay, <laughs> okay, but that that's for later on. We can uh, we can get to that when we uh, we hit that part of the, of the course. But a historic premillennialist, okay, a little bit here for you because I know you love this stuff. Right. Alan Bandy is the premillennialist who wrote this book. These guys wrote this book together. They agree on nearly everything, which should tell you a lot. Okay? And they, they have one chapter, well, two chapters where they disagree at the end of the book. Otherwise, they agree with each other. <coughs> he says, uh, historic premillennialism basically affirms some variation of the future fulfillment of prophecy, especially a literal Visible, glorious, and victorious return of Christ to earth at the end of the age. This position typically typically affirms that when Jesus returns, he will bind Satan, the saints will be raised, first resurrection, and they will reign with Christ in a millennium of peace and prosperity. Yet, not all historical premillennialists insist on a literal interpretation of the thousand years. And he writes in a footnote here, I believe that all numbers in Revelation have symbolic meaning and therefore should not be taken literally in every instance. As such, I'm not convinced that the millennium is actually comprised of a literal or a thousand literal years. So, the stuff there, when I started reading him, he thought, yeah, I agree with that. And then... Hold on a minute, hold on a minute. He's not going all the way, is he, though? Okay? He also believes the kingdom of God has already been inaugurated at the first coming. Okay? So, his main interpretation, just as the Amillennialist here, is going to be the first coming. He just believes that there are some scriptures that you can't cram into the first coming, so you've got to leave them for the second coming. Um, he um, he believes, and most premillennialists. In fact, I think all historic covenant premillennialists believe in one people of God. One people of God. All are millennialists, and all postmillennialists believe in one people of God. Now, if there's only one people of God, who is it? It must be the church, yes? So therefore, Israel, okay, as a nation, has no future. Do you see? Either with post-millennialists or amillennialists or historic covenant premillennialists, they all believe in the one people of God. Yeah? now they might get a little bit technical and, and say uh, yeah but I understand that, that the Old Testament saints weren't really in the church and the church began after the resurrection of Christ but when you ask them okay but do you, do you believe in two peoples of God there therefore people saved in the Old Testament period or before the ascension of Christ and then those in the church afterwards and they say no There's one people of God. Well, who are the one people of God? They have to be the church, folks. Okay? They have to be the church. You say, what did they do with Israel? They will often believe, and you can be post-millennial, are millennial, or historic pre-millennial, they will believe that uh, God has a future for Jews being saved and incorporated into the church the majority of jews you would agree through church history have not been saved many are millennialists not all of them by any means but many are millennialists will believe that before the second of coming of christ there will be a great revival in israel and many jews will be saved and joined to the church and that's what the salvation of the Jews will be okay. No national restoration, though. And historic premillennialists will agree with that view. As far as Old Testament prophecies, sometimes they will look at the restoration passages in the Old Testament. Um, you know, Isaiah um, sixty-one or. Um, Uh, 11 and 2 and so on. And they will say, yes, there's, that's going to be the world when Christ comes back in the millennium, because they believe in a millennium. But they won't take the Israel, Jerusalem, you know, locations that literally. And they'll all spiritualize Ezekiel's temple. There's no need for the Levitical sacrifices, because the church doesn't need Levitical sacrifices, you see, and there's one people of God, the church. And as, you, as I read to you from this, um, this premillennialist, Alan Bandy, he believes the book of Revelation is full of symbols. So many historic covenant premillennialists will agree, for the most part, with our millennialists that the book of Revelation is not to be interpreted at face value. It's symbolic, highly symbolic, and those symbols don't uh they have to be decoded and uh and basically spiritualized, okay? Um, George Eldon Ladd here he, he uh in his essay he takes most of the time knocking our position but he just says, premillennialism is the doctrine stating that after the second coming of Christ, he will reign for a thousand years over the earth before the final consummation of God's redemptive purpose in the new heavens and the new earth of the age to come. This is the natural reading of Revelation 21 through 6. Um, he, uh, he denies that there is a distinction between Israel and the church. So he's one people of God guy. Okay, um, he says, page 20 here, the fact is that the New Testament frequently interprets Old Testament prophecies in a way not suggested by the Old Testament context. Okay, he gives you an example, Hosea eleven one, out of Israel I have called my son, which is quoted in Matthew 2.15. And applied to Jesus. Alright? Well, we'll, we'll deal with that later on. But I will tell you that there is something else going on and that Hosea is actually relying on the book of Numbers. Okay? So, there's, there's an, another connection there where it actually is Messiah. So there's a kind of a double meaning in that. Okay. Uh, he says, um, "The Old Testament is reinterpreted in light of the Christ event, the first coming of Christ." Okay, reinterpreted. He does use the word. With regard to the first coming of Christ, he says the Old Testament is interpreted by the New Testament. Well, sure. And how does, in regard to the first coming of Christ, how does the New Testament interpret the Old Testament? Basically, literally. I mean, we would all interpret the prophecies of Christ in the same way. Okay, but when we come to the second coming of Christ, all of a sudden, a bunch of us start spiritualizing that's the That's the issue. Was there another quotation here I wanted to give you i don't think so he says i can can find no trace of the idea um of either an interim earthly kingdom or of a millennium in the Gospels. No trace of an idea. Okay? And he does some good work uh, here about refuting the Amillennialists uh, and, and their interpretation. Um, for reasons outlined above, he says on page 32, a millennial doctrine cannot be based on Old Testament prophecies. But should be based on the New Testament alone and basically on the book of Revelation, chapter 20. So, a historic premillennialist has some stuff right, okay, as far as, and of course I'm saying that because I agree with them. I mean, an our millennials say well, he's got it wrong, but... Uh, but yeah, he, he believes that after the second coming of Christ, it's going to be a literal millennium. But there's only one people of God. There's no restored nation of Israel in this millennium, you see? And the only reason that he's going for the millennium is basically because of Revelation 20. And not all, as, as you heard from Alan Bandy there, not all historic premillennialists believe that the thousand years is a literal thousand years. So they're very close to our millennialists, which why, is why he can um, write a book with an our millennialist. Uh, just, there is one more quotation here that I've got to give you from George Eldon Ladd. After Anthony Hocamer's, uh our millennial article, George Eldon Ladd, Ladd, the historic premillennialist, starts by saying this. I am in agreement with practically all that Hokema has written with the exception of his exegesis of Revelation 20. So you see how they get along, these guys? So if you want to be cool, you be a post-millennialist, an amillennialist or a premillennialist in the historical covenant sense. Yeah? If you want to be uncool, then you agree with what I'm going to be teaching you. Here, you you start to be a dispensational premillennialist. A dispensational premillennialist. Don't be put off by that term. I've already kind of explained it in a previous lesson and we'll go on into that now. I don't like the term dispensational because I have very very little time for dispensations or administrations or, or economies like the dispensation of innocence in Eden the dispensation of conscience outside of Eden the dispensation of promise at the time of uh, Abraham okay I, I think these are these are really they're not even the same in the same semantic domain as far as uh, a conscience is not the same thing as innocence okay that the, the, the they relate to different things. An innocent person can have a conscience, can't they? Do you see? Um, law is not the same as, as innocence, is it? I mean, you can be innocent and still have law. These are different things, okay? Um, promise, well, what's that got to do with conscience or innocence? I mean, promise is a promise, isn't it? Whether you're innocent or guilty. Whether you've got law or not. Do you see? Administrations of these things? I don't think so. They're just hard. And then you interpret the Bible by this. But the Bible doesn't do that. The Bible interprets itself through covenants. Covenants that God makes. Okay? So, um, I am a <laughs> I am a premillennialist, okay? But I believe in the the biblical covenants. They're what make me a premillennialist. All right. Any questions? I you were a dispensationalist. I am a reluctant dispensationalist. <laughs> yes, I am. Questions, yes. A lot of their, what they read in the Word of God. How do they? How do they um, fit this in with God is the same yesterday, today, and forever? He doesn't. I mean, they. What I hear them saying is that sometimes he talks this way to you, and sometimes he talks that way to you. Mm-hmm. Is that? I mean, that's what they're saying. Basically. All right. So, let me just rephrase the question. The question is, if if they're claiming that God's spiritualized, or rather God's word has to be spiritualized in order to understand what God really means, then that means that what he said over here, which is not to be taken literally, but was taken literally, maybe, has a, a different meaning later on. And so God is speaking out of both sides of his mouth. Okay, so is that basically what you're saying? And what do they say? How do they respond to that? I've never had a clear response from anyone on that charge. What they tend to do is they tend to say, how dare you accuse God of doing that? (laughs) But I don't believe God does that. You're the one who does. The logical outcome of believing that is that God God is double-mouthed. That he's ambiguous in what he says. So, how do you lock down meaning? Okay? We'll be dealing with this a lot, so don't, you know, just stick with it. But I must say this: you know, um, Terry used the word spiritualization. They don't like that word. I know that Lad used the term, okay, but they don't like that word. They say we don't spiritualize; we take it literally, okay. In other words, and I know it's you know I call it slippery language because what they mean by literal is not what you mean by literal. And, it's, and if you did to their books what they do to the Bible, they would accuse you of misrepresenting their literal meaning. Okay? But they, they will come to the Bible and they will say, yeah, well, this is symbolic, so you've got to have the literal meaning of the symbol So, the literal meaning of the symbol is what we're looking for. When we've got that, we have a literal interpretation. Here's the problem. Half the time, it's not a symbol. It actually means what it says. The chain that is brought by the angel is a literal chain. The angel, the angelic being, what is he is he physical or is he mainly spiritual is he, is he corporeal or non-corporeal well uh, a, an angel can take on the form of a man but most of the time they're non-corporeal spirits yes you can't see them yes they're called spirits in the book of Hebrews and Satan is, is the same he's a demonic spirit he can take physical form, but he's a spirit. All right? So, if God can make an angelic being and God can permit, because the, the, Satan is corrupted and distorted, the existence of a demonic beings, isn't it pretty easy to create a spiritual chain to bind a demonic being? What's more difficult to make? An angel or a spiritual chain? Obviously, a spiritual chain is is much easier to make, isn't it? So, what's wrong with binding an angelic demon, if if you want, being Satan with a chain suited to a demon and throwing him in a bottomless pit and putting the topple over it? You say, well, that physicalizes things. Yeah, well, maybe there's a bit more physicality to this than we're allowing. Okay, but even it, 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 if this is the realm of, of, uh, uh, as it were, non-corporeality, spirituality, there's something going on here that we're not aware of. Maybe, maybe it's not completely spiritual. Maybe it is com- corporeal, we just don't see it. Do you see? Maybe it's just an invisible realm. Do you see? But is physical. So there's no need to start spiritualizing things. But again, they don't like the word spiritualize and we'll come back to that. Any other questions? All right. All clear. Are we clear on this? Okay, Post, uh, one final rehearsal. Post-millennialists believe that the church will bring in the millennium, and then Jesus will come back, but there's no millennium after the second coming. Jesus comes back after the millennium. Yes, then you have the new heavens and new earth. But the church brings in the millennium, brings in the kingdom. Our millennialists believe that we're in the millennium now okay the church is not going to bring it in we're in it not necessarily going to get any better either but Jesus comes back okay and then new heavens and new earth so there's no future millennium so in this sense post-millennialists are also are millennialists because post-millennialists don't believe there's going to be a millennium after the second coming And our millennialists are post-millennialists because our millennialists agree with post-millennialists that the millennium will come in and then Jesus will come back, okay? Because we're in the millennium now. A historic pre-millennialist believes that Jesus comes back and then there's a millennium of some kind of description, some kind of age, after the second coming of Christ, and then you have the new heavens and new earth after that. But they don't believe that Israel has national restoration promises. They believe, again, like our millennialists and post that there is one people of God, basically the church. Okay? They do not believe in a distinction between Israel and the church, which is why their approach to the interpretation of prophecy is very often very very similar to the Arminianist and the Postmillennialist which is why uh, Hokema, uh sorry Ladd who is the most influential prophecy scholar of the last probably 50 to 100 years particularly in America Ladd's been very very influential Ladd says he agrees with the Arminianist most of the time and this is why Bandy, a premillennialist, historic premillennialist, can write a book with an amillennialist and agree most of the time with him. I couldn't. Because I'd be constantly disagreeing with him. Saying, it doesn't say that. Okay? It doesn't say that. That doesn't apply to the church. That's a second coming passage, not a first coming passage. Do you see? So that's where we're going next time. We're going to to kind of clarify things. And uh, I, I had to do this. I had to give you this stuff. Before we could move on. Yes. Let's follow up that question I had last week. remember, About the the thousand year reign. We're supposed to be in it now. So we can't get along. Yeah. We're trying to make this happen. Where are we in their thousand years? I mean what, what would they say? Uh, <laughs> the The question is. This is the last question. The question is um, that since Christians can't get along either, okay, then when's this thousand years going to start, okay? And you know when a Christian's going to start getting along? That's a post. Only a post-millennialist will say we will all finally. The Holy Spirit will revive the church first before the world is saved. And everyone will be on basically the same page, which will be on our page. We'll all be post-millennial, okay? So we'll all agree with that, that view. Our millennialist won't believe that because we're in the millennium now and things don't necessarily get any better. Do you see? In fact, an our millennialist will often say that... um, that there will be an apostasy before the second coming of Christ. The church, things may get worse. Do you see? But they will deny a literal millennium after the second coming. All right. I can see that you've had enough. From now on in, it's much more plain sailing, I think.